Hey listeners, Sourdough here. Today's episode is a rare one because we have Ken Feldman, co-founder of Big Imagination, a 501c3 organization based in Venice, California. Ken started Big Imagination to create bold, visionary projects that inspire the world to dream big. In fact, for the last five years, Ken and over 1,000 volunteers have been creating an epic artwork at Burning Man called the 747 Project. This project is crazy because they have literally been rebuilding a retired Boeing 747 in the desert just for Burning Man, just for the sake of artistic expression, just because. And believe me, this 747 project is epic. It has been controversial and provocative. Some people love it. Some people hate it, which is exactly why I thought it was a perfect story for Not Real Art. Now, without any further ado, let's get started and talk to Ken Feldman of Big Imagination. Hello, this is Siri and you're listening to my favorite podcast, Not Real Art. I live for this shit because it's totally lit. Greetings, artists and art lovers. Welcome to Not Real Art, the podcast that celebrates artists defining creative culture around the world. I'm your host, Sourdough, and on today's episode, I'm honored to be joined by Ken Feldman. Hey, Ken. Hey. Hey. How's it going, man? Sourdough, I did not know that you were... Hey, man, there's a lot that you don't know about <laughs> me, right? Go. You're on a need-to-know <laughs> basis. I will reveal this uh, over the course of our friendship. You know, you'll learn more and more. <laughs> Somebody once told me I'm like an onion. You peel back the layers. I said, well, am I giving you, you know, bad breath as well? I hope not. Ken, how are you, man? Thanks for coming in. Oh, you're welcome. This is my, like I, like I was saying before, this is my first podcast. I've never been on one. I, 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 that's shocking. I mean, you know, given everything you've been involved in and over the years and stuff, I would have thought that podcasts would be like old fair. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, I'm honored. You know, you got to pop your cherry at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing quite like your first time. Oh. We'll always be. We'll always I'm be. going to be crying in the corner when it's over. <laughs> what did they do to me? I'll send you flowers in the morning. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. Well, you know, it's no surprise that you haven't been on any podcasts. You're so fucking busy. I mean, as the, the founder of Big Imagination. Co-founder. Co-founder. Who's, co-founder. Your, who's your co-founder? Uh, John Tao. John Tail. So, uh, where's John today? What's he up to? You know, he is either in Australia or Switzerland. I'm not sure. Okay. We need to put a GPS tracker on him to keep okay. track of him. He's yeah. one of those guys. Yes. Got yes, it. Yes, Got yes, it. Yes. How did you guys link up? I started going to Burning Man in 2008. Mm-hmm. And then I s- started a uh, camp called Camp Charlie. Mm-hmm. Built an art car called Charlie the Unicorn, which mm-hmm. was my first uh, big art project for Burning Man. And there was a woman named Autumn who is a was a mutual friend and she brought him into our camp and we were sort of friends through that and then she sadly took her life and john and i became much closer after that and that was in 09 ish uh my first year was 2008 i started camp charlie in 2011 Got it, okay. so john joined us in 2011 and then yeah i think it was 2014 when she passed so who was responsible for the big idea and when i say big idea i mean the 747 <laughs> that was my foolishness <laughs> <laughs> so i was at opulent temple which is a big uh long-standing camp at uh, burning man uh, and I remember that year they were at the two o'clock side and I was with uh, my buddy, Greg, 
at the time I was camping with uh, Robot Heart, which is now an institution, but that that was that was their second year, and um, we were both at Opulent Temple, and I saw this bicycle that had been built out of airplane parts, and I looked at it and I said, "Whoa, dude, wouldn't it be cool if we made an art car?" Out of an airplane, and he said, "Yeah, man, <laughs> sounds like somebody was under the influence." I don't know what you're talking about. It might have allegedly. Been a, it might have been a high idea. So <laughs> idea, right? And the next day, back in camp, I was next to uh, Walter RV, and I sketched out basically the look of what the 747 is. I sketched out a 747 with the top off. And uh, said, yeah, let's get a 747 and turn it into a giant art car. And, you know, everybody said, you're an idiot. <laughs> That's never going to happen. Uh, and it had been. It was right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I definitely, it's both, they're, they're, they're definitely right on the first part. <laughs> and so it's been a running, it had been a running joke for a very long time. Sure. I really got the art car bug and I'm like, I got to build a mutant vehicle. And so I built Charlie the Unicorn. and. It was a great experience. It was also incredibly difficult. And I swore up and down I would never do another art car again as long as I lived, unless it could be the biggest, craziest thing of all time. Sure. Well, mission accomplished on that <laughs> point. But why was the, but I want to go back. So why was the unicorn car, what was it called again? I'm sorry. The, so there was a, it's Charlie the Unicorn. Charlie the Unicorn. So there, why was there's that this so viral, difficult? There was this viral video okay. called Charlie the Unicorn. I don't know. Charlie goes to Candy Mountain. Oh my God. Yes. Of yes. course I know that video. <laughs> uh, so I'm- Charlie. Charlie, we're going to Candy Mountain. <laughs> oh, oh, you took my kidney. Yeah. So- We'll post that on our website for yeah. people to- Yeah. So we, there was virtually no money. It was a very small crew. It was extremely, it was just tough. It was just a little tiny crew of people putting it together. I was learning a lot. We had no money. We had virtually no tools. I mean, we used a, a used welder. I mean, it was just so difficult to get that thing to happen. And because we didn't have a lot of money, <laughs> we used, um, I bought the cheapest base vehicle I could get my hands on, a 1979 Chevy C600. And Will and Tom, who, if they listen to this, they're and, and everybody else is part of Camp Charlie, are all just... They're screaming at me right now. Ah, that vehicle has caused so much trouble. There's just everything about it was just difficult. Yeah. It was beautiful. I think it is not the prettiest art car out there. Mm. It's not the best built art car out there, but it, I truly believe, is one of the most beloved art cars at Burning Man. Interesting. Why is that? It's just so janky. Yeah. And people love Charlie the Unicorn in that video. Right. They love that video. And so every time it goes out, people come riding by with their bike, Charlie, Charlie. <laughs> it's just, it never stops. <laughs> you know, unicorns and the whole thing. And uh, he's like a bitter unicorn. How can you not love Charlie? Yeah, that's right. Right. That's right. So my swore banana would never do another one. And I gave it to the camp, said, I'm done. 2014 camp just went off with my friend Fawn and we just camped somewhere else. And then uh, after the burn, I came back to kind of, you know, just help to help out. And I was going to drive Charlie back and all these things. And I 
was hanging out with Will and with my buddy Ray, and they're like, they asked me, would you ever do something? I said, no, unless it could be 747. And then we started riffing and oh, 747, you know, making up all these ideas. We could do this. We could do that and blah, blah, blah. So on the drive back, Will said, would you seriously have never do something again? And I said, hey, look, I would do a 747, but where do you buy where do you get a used 747? I mean, you know. He's like, I got a place for you. And he said that. He says, <laughs> you can get one at the Mojave Airport. Yeah. Come on. And I went on Google Maps and turned on the satellite and zoomed in on the airport. And there's the boneyard out there. Right. And I made a few phone calls. And I got a hold of a guy. And he said, yeah, I'll sell you one. <laughs> so I sketched something up. And then everybody's got a guy. Every, yeah, I got a guy. There's a guy. <laughs> and I went to a beach party in Marina del Rey that my friend Angela and some other people put on, but she does this really amazing beach party. And John was there. Shout out to Angela. And shout out to Angela. Right. Yeah. And all the other people. Yes. Uh, but we love but you to all. Me, to me, it's it's Angela puts it on. I know there's like ten people. Of course. It so um, it's a team effort. Yeah. It's, Shout uh, out to the team. You know what? Everything is a team. That's effort. right. That's Everything right. is a team effort. Somebody once told me there is no I in team, but there is in dick and bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> yes. Anybody who I will tell you, anybody who takes claim to this is my project. Like I can understand ownership. This is not my project. There were a, a thousand volunteers who worked on yes, this. Yes, yes. And everybody has ownership. Uh, yeah. And just it, it's not it, really. We should have a thousand people in this podcast. Sure. It's just not logistically feasible. And I only know you. Yeah. And so I will do my best <laughs> to speak for all these people who worked on yes. it. So I shared it with John, and John has this phrase, and he looked at it. I, I had a little drawing on my iPhone. He looked at it. And he said, "Fuck yeah, let's do it." <laughs> And I said, okay. And he, he said, look, I'll put in 10%. I'm like, wow. And my budget was minuscule compared to what it ended up being. I, I did this really. T turns out projecting uh, uh, <laughs> cash flows is uh, not your strong suit. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and also we started off with a much smaller version. Sure. So originally we were not going to have the landing gear. We we're just going to use a small portion of it. Yeah. And then. When we started looking at building a sub a subframe for it, mm -hmm. and the look and the feel, it's like you know why don't we just leave it on its landing gear, yeah. and it makes it into a much grander project, <laughs> and also it does drive up the cost of it. <laughs> Slippery slope. Yes. Oh my god, just wild. I mean, we could have afforded it. The the so yeah, John said fuck yeah, let's do it, and then that night. I went to a friend's engagement party and he introduced me to somebody else who looked at it and said, I was going to spend all this money on building an archive rather than give it to you. Let's do something. I'm like, and at that point, we're like, we have enough money. Yeah. We're in. Right. And uh, then John and I spent a lot of time thinking about what else can we do? And we started a nonprofit called Big Imagination Foundation. And so we spent the next three months really brainstorming around that and, and, working with other people to come up with the name and this and that and on and on and on the logo. And then um, by the time we got all that together and figured out all these other things and really had everything going. And I went back to that guy, his girlfriend, his yoga instructor girlfriend at the time had convinced him that you shouldn't spend money on an art car. That's horrible. You should put it towards the homeless or the, this, whatever it was. And he soured on the project and like, ah, you know, 
but by that point we had so much momentum yeah. it's like we're gonna figure this out yeah and but by it, the way that's a but that's a legitimate it's absolutely legitimate and i know this is this is part of the you know what is art yeah absolutely you know is it art what is art how do you spend your money yep. and these are truly legitimate questions and concerns and uh, uh, we have had a tremendous amount of criticism around that. Well, part of what I love about your story, quite frankly, and this is, you know, I wanted to have you on for so many reasons, but your story aligns with our ethos so much. But part of what I enjoy about your story and part of the reason why we started Not Real Art, the podcast and the conference and the other things that we're doing is that, you know, the pretentious elite of the conventional art world turns their nose largely up at Burning Man saying like, this is not real art. This isn't art. And, and I'm generalizing, but that's typically the case. But in, in Burning Man, you have the sort of the, the the diehard Burning Man folks who can be just as dogmatic and elitist in their own way and turn their nose up at projects and say, well, that's not true to Burning Man. That's not real art. And you've enjoyed some of that critique as well, haven't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's been... That's been a learning experience. <laughs> <laughs> but that's art, right? Controversial, provocative. Right. So you've got you've hit on kind of two points, which is Burning Man stuff, you know, what's happening at Burning Man is not art. You know, I look at, for example, the uh the lighthouse project. That is one of the most amazing pieces of art I have ever seen. Yeah. It's truly incredible. And then there's other stuff out there that I just look at and I go, hmm. It's not what I like. Sure. But that doesn't mean it's not art. Right. And that's that. For people who have never been to Burning Man, who have not seen this art, a lot of which gets burned down, you know, you're missing out. This truly is Burning Man is one of maybe it might be the great art experiment that is happening on the planet at this time. Yeah. I think you can make a strong argument that it's more important in many ways than say Art Basel. And if you don't feel that way, that's your fucking problem. <laughs> yeah. As for the burnier than thou crowd right? I'm more burner than you. There's these 10 principles at Burning Man, you know, these 10 ethos, if you will. Yep. And one of them, so leave no trace yep. is one radical self-reliance, but another one is radical self-expression. Mm. Let's just say this, that the project that we did, the 747, let's just say it's not art just for the sake of argument. Mm. It's not art. Okay. It is self-expression. And for people at the event to say, that's not art. It's like, okay, maybe it's not. But it is really big self-expression of over a thousand people who have worked really hard. And maybe they're onto something. Yeah. It's not just me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not my egotistical expression of blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not some, I am not a wealthy man. I'm not some rich billionaire who's just like, here you go. Yeah, and, right. And the funding has come from literally thousands and thousands of yeah, people. Yeah, you're like the Bernie Sanders uh, campaign of, uh, <laughs> of, of art programs on the playa. Oh, my God. Yes. Actually, in some ways we are. In some ways we are. No one has put in more than, if you look at our overall budget, I think the most anybody, one person has put in, I think there's one person who's put in about 10%. And the rest of it is all like, you know, we've had a couple of people with the 5%. And the, the vast majority of the funds have been small donations over a long period of time and a staggering amount of uh, donation labor. Just, I don't think any other project has ever had this much labor put into it. But volunteerism, man. Yeah. You know, it's had a huge impact on a lot of people's lives. So. I know it had an impact on my life. 
No, tell me, tell me. Well, how. I mean, you know, listen, my my journey around Burning Man's not at all exciting, so I don't want to spend very much time here talking about it. But I will say that one of the highlights of my time last year on the playa, which by the way was my first time on the playa, was dancing on the wings of your uh, of your, of the seven forty seven. I mean, I don't know, two in the morning, whatever time it was, doesn't matter. It was just, I was like, what the fuck is this? I mean, like, <laughs> we, we wheel up on our bikes. I'm like, there's a goddamn 747 in the middle of fucking nowhere just because somebody thought that it might be a fun idea. To me, that is the beauty of art, the beauty of, of, of the human spirit. Thank you. And yes, and that is, you know, it operates at multiple levels, right? So there's... I guess we should probably describe to all these people out there who don't know what the hell we're doing. Yes, let's, let's take two steps back and explain what it is. What is your 747 project, Ken Sheldon? Can we edit this and put it right to the front of the it podcast? Yeah. Um, the 747, it is originally, it's a Boeing 747-300 model, which is the first of the megatops. It was built for Varig Airlines. It first flew in 1985. It flew till uh, with Varig till 98, and then it got turned into a cargo plane flew with a bunch of different cargo carriers until 2011, landed at the Mojave Airport, Mojave Air and Spaceport, that's how they like to call it, uh, north of Los Angeles. And we acquired it in 2016, and we trimmed it down to the largest size that we could move it feasibly. So we took off the tail, took off a big portion of the wings, but it's still half a football field long three and a half stories tall and seven buses wide. Okay. So that, that equates in 150 feet long, 32 feet tall, 60 feet wide and weighs, I, I it's either 165 or 185,000 pounds, something like that. It's big. And we break, it breaks down into five pieces. Mm -hmm. So we have the main bottom section. Then we have what we call the wing stubs. So it's 25 foot wing sections, which bolt on. And then the front upper half and the back upper half. So we had to, move it in pieces over a two and a half year period. So we took off the front upper half first, then we took off the back half. So 2016, we had the front, 2017, we added the back, 2018, we brought the rest of it and put it all back together again. And so in 2018, last year, we, I'm not, it's not a full 747, but it's enough that you say might that's as well a seven be a might as well be. Yeah, <laughs> there's there's some. There's, it's a reasonable facsimile. <laughs> it's it's yeah, <laughs> it's the only convertible seven forty seven on the planet. Yeah. Let's put it that way. It had a little it had a little trim job, but it's still massive. Yes. And then so the experience that we want people to have is we want people to look at it and go, "What the hell is that?" So there's the in the distance awe experience, mm -hmm. then walking up underneath it and looking at it in the the ridiculousness of it, the vast size, there is something to be said about objects that are enormous, yes. that have an impact on people's psyche. By the way, okay, so not to interrupt, but sure, like, no, please. What, and, and I won't remember the names, but one of the key art projects of last year was the sphere. Yeah, it's called the sphere. The sphere, yeah. right? And I mean, this was a big object. It didn't have any utility except to, you know, uh, uh, look at it and, uh, and, and appreciate its its uh, its surface and its size and to stand under it and kind of walk around. It was a beautiful object. It was and, – and that, I think, is also an example of what you're saying. Like, the size does matter. Turns out size, <laughs> size does, does matter. matter. Yeah. It's not just the motion of the – anyways. Um, <laughs> yeah, and the sphere – 
It was a, essentially an inflatable mylar yeah. balloon. Huge. Yeah, huge. And it, it was beautiful. Yeah. There is something to size. Levitated mass. Yes. With black oh, yeah. Come right? on. Right. That's this enormous rock that you walk under. Some people get in, some people don't. Right. All the stuff that Christoph does. Right. Right. And I'm not Tom, though, Christoph. <laughs> you know, let's not. There's only one Christoph. Let's not get crazy here, okay? And I'm certainly not. Uh, I can't remember his name. Did Levitate a Mess. I'm so embarrassed. Yeah, I don't know. But uh, Doug Prey did the documentary. Right. So watch the documentary. There you go. <laughs> there's the size of it. And there's also, it, there's something about looking at the incredible amount of effort that went into making a 747. And there's also something magical about a 747. If you're at an airport and a 737 pulls up, people don't go walk up to the window and, you know, yeah. put their nose up against the window and look at the plane. 747s pull up. Everybody goes to the window and goes, wow, look at the size of that thing. This project wouldn't have worked if it wasn't 747. That's right. Yeah. If it was a Cessna 185, no one would be talking. You wouldn't be a guest on this podcast if it was a Cessna 185. If it had been a 777, which is an enormous airplane. Yeah, right. Uh, 747s are iconic. That's also why Charlie the Unicorn worked. Because it started off as something else. And it was like, meh. It started off as something called Polecat. And it just wasn't vibing with people. And then I said, well, what if we make it like this and do Charlie the Unicorn? And everybody flipped out. I'm like, wow, okay. Well, yeah. I mean, the size is absolutely a powerful thing. But it's also the juxtaposition of like, you know, a foreign object, right? Like, <laughs> yes. like what, what is this 747 Seven, doing in the, in the middle, middle of, of the nowhere? Desert. Yeah. Yeah. What, what the hell is this doing in the middle of the desert? Yeah. How did they get it there? How do you move it across? How do you move it? Yes. So the, there's, the, yeah. there's all that. Uh, but then there's also... There's so many people that try and get into the plane that a lot of people have not had the opportunity to get the full experience, which is unfortunate. But we we, we can only have about- But that's, but that's typical of Burning Man. I mean, you know what I mean? There's no way you can enjoy all of Burning Man. You're literally scratching the surface. That was one of my critiques. And it, it's impossible. But that's, one that, that's why you want to come back is because there's always something new to see. Anyway. No, it's, it's, it's legitimate. I just, because we- we just have to be conscious of safety. Yes. So we can only put maybe 175 people in the plane at the time. Right. And so. So there's a that, velvet that rope and you're very selective <laughs> about the people that get to go. You're so no, VIP. No, 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 no. <laughs> We're just trying to control the number of people who come in so that we don't have. Camp. 100% safety is crucial. And there were some serious injuries last year. Uh, you remember the, the stacked cars? Somebody the fell car, down. The barbecue. Yeah. Well, I, okay. We don't know. How, all right. Now, before you start spreading rumors. Yes, here, I'm okay? not spreading rumors. I'm, uh, every year, every year, there's always... You know, people get hurt, but how hurt they get. So two years ago, mm. there was the giant hog, the giant pig. Okay. It was um, like the- with the Like a boar? Like yeah, a fire-breathing boar or something? Yeah. And, okay. and it was it was this huge metal thing. Yeah. I and think it I was, saw a photo of it. And yeah. it rotated around and it moved and it did all these things, and it was, but it was in a single location. Yeah. And so the rumor started off that- uh, you know, somebody cut themselves on it, mm. right? But by the end of the rumor mill, they it was somebody, <laughs> somebody had fallen off and their whole leg had been cut off. <laughs> right. Which is not true. No, no, not at all. <laughs> so the jungle drums at Burning Man are pretty vicious, which we got, we definitely got hammered on that stuff. You know, there were huge lines of people who were trying to get in. And quite honestly, you know, it takes years for an art car to figure out how to run things. Yeah. So, for example, I was with Robot Heart 
help them out for their first three years in a kind of a tangential way. And now for people who don't know, Robot Heart is an institution now at Burning Man. They have thousands of people who go to their, their, you know, they have DJs out there and they go out into the deep playa and they have thousands of people who are there till sunrise. Same thing with Mayan warriors now like that. But it took years for Robot Heart to figure out what they were doing. It took a couple of years for Mayan warrior to figure that out. And our first year, I was like, look, I don't, we're just going to have to figure this out. And so we definitely had some crowd crowd control issues and trying to figure out how to get people to come in and come out and safely and how do we get the people through. And, and so we think we have a better plan this year, but uh, you know, we'll see how that works. But the, the experience inside is what we want. We want as many people to have that experience. And so we call that the, we, <laughs> you can't see the air quotes, the 747 experience. So the way it works is we have a, you, you walk up to the, insecurity checkpoint which looks like a metal detector and you pass through and your your tsa agent helps you through the insecurity checkpoint uh and, TSA, and what does tsa stand for tsa stands for either total self-acceptance or touching sensitive areas it's really up to you consent you know you get to decide what you want uh yeah and then you go inside and a flight attendant greets you and says you're going on a journey of life. Where do you want to go? And they give you a boarding pass and you could write on that. We give you a pen. You can write on that boarding pass, whatever you want. You could say, I want to go to Disneyland, but it's, we're asking people is to really dig deep. Where do you want to go with your life? Where do you want your future to be? So then you staple gun that up to the wall. We have a wall where you put your boarding passes. And then after that, another flight attendant gives you, comes up to you and says, we're the only airline that's guaranteed to lose your luggage. Okay. So now that you know where you want to go, if there's any luggage, any baggage, any emotional baggage that's holding you back from getting there, let us get rid of it for you. And we give you an emotional baggage tag and you write <laughs> down whatever's holding you back from retrieving. I don't think it's big enough for me. I think I need a, I need a few. We, we have a very large supply of baggage tags. You can take as long as you want. Fill them all out. Just go for it. And then we ask people to hang them up and we take and we tell people we're going to cut them all down and we take them all to the temple and we burn all of that, that emotional baggage. We drop it off to be burned on Sunday. So the idea is, is where do you want to go? What's holding you back? Let it all go. And then when that's all done, we give you a little, you know, the little airplane wings. We have the wings and put pin those on you and we give you a hug and send you on your way. So that there's this big experience. And then there's this intimate experience. And we find that 25% of the people are like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And 50% of the people are like, wow, that's really meaningful. And then the last 25% of the people have a really emotional experience around that for whatever reason. It's just a little bit of theater, but it's very effective. And we've, I really wish we had other people who could be on this podcast to explain so I'm going. Uh, I'm going to massacre this uh, this story. I know I'm going to massacre the story, but I'm going to try. Keep it simple. So there's this woman in our camp, an Israeli woman. Uh, her name is Anat, and she told this story. You really got to get her on video explaining the story because I'm going to fuck it up. And she loves running this experience. So she's running it, and it's kind of near the end, and she's kind of shutting it down. And this woman comes up, and this. 
she's looking around like, I don't know what's going on here. And this woman had some, some men with her who seem to be security. They're kind of keeping an eye on what's going on. And Anad is very open, friendly, and welcomes her in and uh, says, you know, here's your boarding pass and emotional baggage. She's like, oh, I don't need to do any of this stuff. But by the end of it, this woman is crying and tells Anat she's from Saudi Arabia. She's part of the royal family. She has never had a conversation with an Israeli woman. She's having this, the two of them are bonding. She's like, I didn't know this was possible. And they give each other a big hug and this whole thing. And the next year, which is last year. So that was 2017. That was and 2017. Then 2018. Okay. 2018. Anat is there. If I have the story correctly, and all of a sudden this woman shows up and now she's got her whole family and she said, I brought my entire family back and I've been looking for you and I've been looking for this plane and I want them to have the same experience I had. And they had this whole moment. And again, you got to hear it from her beautiful, because it's so magical. Yeah. And there are so many stories like this where it's. People ask, is it art? And I would say, does it have an impact on people? And the answer is absolutely. And we have thousands, literally thousands of examples of it having a profound impact on people's lives. So I guess if you want to bring this back to the financial equation, you know, what is the return on investment? Yeah, right. I, I, you know, I don't know. Well, those are priceless, those stories, right? I mean, at the end of the day, how do you even quantify the value of, of that uh, one story, that one experience? I will, I will give you another one. This is with Charlie the Unicorn. And this is why this is another really solid example of what is art? Is it worth it? You know, Why are you spending your money on this? Why are you spending your time on this? So, and I'm going to leave their name out until they, another person you should interview. Met somebody at a bar post Burning Man 2010. And I said, I want to build this art car. And he's, ah, I'm a welder. Give me a call when you get your shit together. Okay. 2011, I call him up and I say, Hey, it's Ken. I'm building a giant pink unicorn. You want to come help out? He says, Who? Who the fuck is Wait, this? Hello? Who is telemarketer? <laughs> I said, yeah, we met at a bar. It was like six months ago. I finally got my shit together. You said, give him a, give you a call. And he says, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll come and help you out. Nice. Okay. Six months later, he tells me, when you call, and he's a golf vet. He's a, a golf vet. Got it. Okay. Five tours. Wow. Okay. Wow. Couple, couple in Afghanistan and some other tours other places. 15 years in the military. He says, when you called, I was sitting there with the gun in my lap. And I was contemplating suicide. No shit. Like, seriously, like, I'm going to end it. And the phone rang, and I picked it up. And you said, do you want to build a pink unicorn? And I thought to myself, I could kill myself, or I can build a pink unicorn. And he said, fuck it, I'll I'll build a unicorn. And he put the gun away. I'm not kidding about the story. He'll tell you. I just, you know, I don't feel like I have permission I, I, to use uh, his name. Yeah. Well, and yeah. And it, I mean, like literally I have a freaking tear in my eye. Like yeah, that no, story is, is 
I tear up every time I yeah. tell him. And he's he's a good friend of mine now. And we work together and we've been friends, you know, ever since. But, you know, as difficult as Chart of the Unicorn was, yeah. that's just worth it right there. Right. Doesn't, you know, is how do you put it? And and he affects a lot of people. Yeah. He, he has had a huge impact on many, many people's right. lives. Well, look, I mean, you know, not to, you know, thinking about it at a higher level too, it's like, look, we're, we happen to be living in a time, right, where people have largely lost their faith and trust in government, in religion, in, in capitalism. And, you know, like, where do you go, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're pissed off and agnostic or, or bitter or whatever, where do you go to, you know, try to make peace and find some some resolve and and you know maybe this gets to why you know burning man is 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 so so important for so many people absolutely there are a lot of people who are looking for community there's a lot of people who are you know they're the i don't want to say the how do i what's the best way to put this they don't necessarily fit into society well you know square pegs round holes it doesn't mean that they're not valuable people. They're extremely valuable people. It's just, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I went to school and then I got married and I had kids and I got a white picket fence. And not I mean, them. That, I, and, and that's a completely legitimate way to live, yeah. but that's not a lot of people. Right. Or they're looking for different ways to express themselves yeah. or they're looking for something. Yes. And it could be you find it in, <laughs> you could find it in a lot of places. A lot of people find it at Burning Man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> have you ever heard the joke about uh, there's a Venn diagram and it shows vegan, CrossFit, Burning Man, right? <laughs> yeah, I would see that. And there's like all three all three circles kind of overlapping, and right in the middle it says, "Can't stop talking about it." <laughs> <laughs> Fanatics. Yeah, you know, I mean, you True don't believers. necessarily need to be at Burning Man, but CrossFit, man, CrossFit. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Oh man. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it, and that's what, you know, one of the things that I appreciated about my experience last year at Burning Man, I mean, I, there were so many things I appreciated, but how international it was too. I mean, at the camp that, that, where did uh, you camp? Well, I stayed at Camp Corny. You and I know th uh, each other through our mutual friend, Paul Anthony or Disco Paws. You might know him, but uh, so Paul and I go way back and um, he had been inviting me for years to come. And so I finally went last year. Is that is Uncle Awesome part of Camp Corny? Yeah. Oh, he, he, that, guy, that guy. That's a perfect example. Yeah. That guy. He just thrives on that stuff. He's yes. great. He's a character. I love that guy. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Right out of central casting, right. as they say here in LA. Yes. <laughs> and uh love that guy. And uh anyway, so I uh, so I was at Camp Corning mm -hmm. and one of the gifts of the playa is of uh, you know, this day club where you come and you get your, you know, party pole uh animal and what what have you. So I'm checking IDs right for the bar and uh you know I'm looking at passports, I'm looking at, you know, uh IDs from South America, from Europe, from Asia, oh, yeah, you yeah. know. And it was just, you know, and that was you know, to, to to the extent, I mean, people, you know, we're living in this time where people like to paint with broad brush strokes. We're not living in a time of nuance, you know, but it is an incredibly diverse eclectic uh experience. Oh yeah. And and, it, and it, you yeah. know, and it's all economic stratus status, which to me is very interesting. So we have, we have some very wealthy people in our camp yeah. and we have some people, uh, we have, you know, we had a couple of people who are, I don't want to say they're homeless, 
but they're definitely in between homes mm. and everything in between. And we do our very, very best to create a financial system that allows every every level yeah. financially to be able to, to participate. We have yeah. people from all over the world. I think we've had people from literally every single continent except for Antarctica at this point be part of the camp. And wow. we almost had someone who is an Antarctic researcher join us. She couldn't she we couldn't, gotta, we she couldn't get, get her shit together in time. It's like, damn it, yeah. that would have been great. The, the Seven f- continents. Here we go. Flights out of Antarctica are a bitch. I and mean they're really hard to get a seat. They are. And, uh, and but that's but that's Burning Man. Yeah, right. And I would say for a there's a lot of people out there who say it's it's so expensive to go and blah blah blah. It, for people who don't know, you can get what's called a low income ticket, which is two hundred bucks, and bring a tent or an or a car. Make sure that you're you've got some peanut butter and jelly, so you always got some food that's not make get get some water. Yeah, that's no, that, you know, I mean, you don't have to go. Yeah. No, that was to me one of the great myths that you know when I when, you know you hear oh it's a bunch of rich people. No, it's not. It's absolutely not. Yes, there are rich people there. Absolutely, but there are absolutely working class people there that save all year to go because this is their big annual pro- pilgrimage that yeah. is you know so important to them, and you know, and so there's all of that. You know, you know, you know, another way for people to look at it is. This is, this is the annual camping trip that you do with friends. And that's how for a while, a long time, like right now I look at it differently. Like there's stresses and, you know, things are a little different right now, but it's, it's a big, it's a big camping trip with a whole bunch of people who are all bringing all this fun stuff and they want to share it with each other and they're having a good time and don't, you know, don't think too much about it. Just have a good time with it. Absolutely. And myself, I'm I'm in a different spot. People who run camps, especially big projects like this, we're sort of in a different spot. We call it working man. Mm. But I <laughs> burning man is particular for people who are running the big projects or working on the big projects. I like to say that burning man is where people who like to work too much go on vacation to work too much. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the other, the other, my other thing is um, when you run a camp, you kind of, it's like everybody in the camp. It's like, it's, it's like going camping with Cub Scouts. Right. Mm. But the Cub Scouts aren't little boys or little girls. They're cats. And they're all high, <laughs> which is not true, yeah, but they're yeah, all cats. Right. And it's just like, oh, meow, yes, meow. Yes, we're all yes, running around yes, the desert trying yes. to keep them. <laughs> so here, so, right. So in the, I got, I got my first invitation to go to Burning Man in 1997. Okay. I, okay. okay. I got mine in 95. But That's yeah, right. I'm like, ah, I'm not going. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I've had many friends go over the years and I just, for whatever reason, I used, to, well, I won't even go into it, but for whatever reason, I just never made it. So last year when I finally go, and I'd always wanted to go, it just wasn't one of those things I prioritized. But of course you hear, uh, and I'm 49, like I've been around the block at least once. You know, but you hear it's like, oh, you can, you know, you have to go. You can't explain it. And, you know, of course, to me, that's a challenge, right? So I want to go and I want to try to deconstruct what Burning Man is. So I came back with a couple of sort of uh, paradigms. Uh, can I run them by you? <laughs> Absolutely. See, see what see what you think. Okay. Absolutely. Then I'll, I'll go with the sim- simpler one first. So I came back and I said, you know what? Okay, if P.T. Barnum, okay. Salvador Dali, okay. and Pink Floyd could have a love child in the desert. It might be Burning Man. That's pretty good. 
Yeah, close. That's pretty good. What's the next one? Okay. The other one is a little more complicated, maybe even a little more provocative, but I'll, I'll break it down. If you like camping in potentially harsh conditions, you might like Burning Man. If you like art, okay, you might like Burning Man. If you like music, particularly EDM, you might like Burning Man. If you like cosplay, costume play, you might like Burning Man. For sure. If you like being greeted with a hug by a stranger, you might like Burning Man. And if you like white people, you might like Burning Man. If you don't like any one of those things, you may not like Burning Man, and you might be a racist. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Close? No? No. You know, it is, it is, and so I, love I, so Man, I have, I have a bunch of uh, friends who are people of color who go to Burning Man, but it is unfortunate that I, I wish there was more diversity. That was the one critique. I said, if, if I was, if I was involved in leadership, the one thing I would try, and I'm sure they're doing this. Oh, I they, def- they, they definitely, they definitely, how re- do we get more diversity in there? They definitely right. reach out. I don't, I don't know. I'd be curious to see. Yeah. I would be curious to get the feedback because look. <laughs> this is going to sound horrible. Uh, so I'm Jewish, right? So I don't mind making my, but I have several friends, but particularly Lance and Max who are uh, black. And so I make, we all make the joke of some of my best friends are black, yeah. which is true. Right, right. So they go, I've camped with them a bunch of times, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I don't, I don't know. I think some of it has to do with, some of it has to do with uh, economic, economic status, mm. right? So there's definitely- not as much economic. Well, this kind of gets free, back to what you I were want saying. to say economic freedom. Yeah. And there's definitely, you know, without getting too political. Right. But this also gets back to what you're saying about in terms of like, there are ways of getting there that aren't expensive. Like there are economical approaches and ways of camping even, and ways. You know what? Even then, yeah. a $200 ticket for a lot of people is, is a lot of it's money. A 100%. Lot, it's a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a lot of money. Fuck yeah. And. That's luxury, you know, our camp dues average out to 1300 bucks, mm-hmm. which is a, it's a ton of money. It's a ton of money. Yeah. And when I did camp Charlie, I think our first year, our dues were like a hundred bucks, 150 bucks. And by the way, this gets back to some of the, the criticism, right? That I guess some of the OG burners, right? Have about burning man is that it's become too, too, too big, too expensive to right? I mean, is that well, fair? Yeah. So, so there, there is kind of an arms race. So here's here's what's going on. You have yeah. an arms race yeah. around who can outdo each other in the art world. Sure. Right? Who could do the crazier, bigger project? Yeah. And when you start doing crazier, bigger projects, it requires more infrastructure, mm-hmm. which costs more money. Yeah. It requires patronage. And the patronage, generally speaking, they're not sleeping in a tent. Right. And that's Part of the reason why, so we have, we have all, we have quote unquote, all the amenities. We have showers, porta potty and porta potties. And we have a a power grid. Plus we have a, um, we have campers who just focus on doing the food. So we have a A full meal plan and everything like that. But the reason why we do that is not because we want all the amenities. Woo. The reason why we do that is this project is so big and so complicated that we have like 175 people in the support system. We just want to make us like, look, all we want you to do is focus on running this project. That's right. And not how am I going to get fed? How am I going to get my RV pumped? How am I going to – it's like – because when you don't have that, 
you then spend hours trying to wave down the truck to come by and pump your RV or you are so nasty. You can only do. (laughs) And by nasty, we mean dusty. Yes, you can. Yeah, it's, it's, you can only do baby wipe showers so many days in a row before you start going, Oh God, I really need to take a shower. And if we weren't doing a project this big, I would absolutely roll back all that stuff. It's like, we got a barbecue, bring some food, throw it out there. That's it. And it's just, you know, people love the crazy over the top spectacle. And I don't think that a lot of people who go to the event or people from the outside realize how expensive Mm. that over-the-top spectacle is to put on. And Burning Man, the event, doesn't put it on. They have have this genius business model, which is we're going to set up a town. You guys bring the show. (laughs) It's pretty brilliant (laughs) if you think about it. But that's, you know. So I want to – speaking of – so I was told this story and by the guy who did it. So Burning Man started – in San Francisco on Baker Beach. They did it for two years in a row. In the third year, it was getting so big. And by big, they were like, ah, 300 people or something like that. And the city said, nope, you're not, you're not doing this bonfire again. There was a group called the Cacophony Society. I don't know if you guys – okay. So the Cacophony Society, um, I think they're sort of an outgrowth of – the merry pranksters they're like mm. the they're like a a genesis or a intellectual offspring offspring yeah. of the merry pranksters yes it's a, kind of an offshoot of that in san francisco and they their ethos is you tell a joke so let's say we're going to go out scott you and i are going to go out to dinner and we're going to pre- pretend to be french royalty and we are going to speak in over-the-top uh, French accent, like this, uh, like the Pepe Le Pew accent, and we're just going to go for it. And we're never going to drop the right. accent the whole night. In character the in whole character night. In character the whole way. Okay. And no matter what, you never let the joke stop. You put your foot down on the gas, and you keep your foot on the gas the whole time. Right. Okay. But here's the thing. Let's say we go out. We go out to dinner, blah, blah, blah. Oh, how are you? Blah. We meet someone. We keep talking to them in this, ah, it's so lovely to meet you. You must come to my uh, chateau uh, chateau in the south of France, uh, blah, 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 where my family many, many years ago, their heads were cut off. Okay. Uh, if we were to run into them on the street years later, you got to speak to them in a French accent. Ah, you gotta keep that's the, commitment. The, the, you never let the joke die. Never. Okay. So- I went to this thing in Big Sur with the Burning Man kind of core group, and they were telling the story how after Burning Man got, you know, you can't be in Baker Beach anymore, the Cacophony Society said, well, we're throwing this party on the desert. Come out and join us. So Larry Harvey and a few people went out there and blah, blah, blah. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wreck the story. <laughs> We'll, we'll piece it together. Piece in post. it together. Right. I'll again. Somebody, I need to get somebody in here to. We'll, to, we'll, we'll print corrections on the yeah, website. Yeah. So, um, the story goes: a couple years into the event, somebody says, "I hereby declare this Black Rock City." And there's like 40 people out there, all you know, drinking, drinking, and shooting off guns, and just have tents and RV. It's nothing, you know. And he says, "I hereby declare this Black Rock City," and it's not really a city if you don't have a street sign. 
And they, they had made a street sign and they put it down and they hammered it into the ground. And then Larry Harvey said, well, it's not really a city if you don't have a coffee shop. And he put out a folding table and a pot of coffee. Right. Okay. And that was the beginning of the city. It was a joke. It was a joke. And Black Rock City has grown and kept growing. And now there's, you know, they added departments. There's the Department of Mutant Vehicles. There's all of these departments and divisions. And and it's, you know, it's a full-blown city. Yes. But most of the people who go to the city or most of the people who volunteer to help put the city together and all these people, none of them realize it's just a big joke. The whole city is just a big giant joke that has gotten wildly, wildly out of control. And someone has put their foot on the gas and they're not taking it off. That's what's really going on. Black rock city is Larry Harvey and a few other people. It's their big joke. And, and the man the reason why they were burning the man is you're sticking it to the man. Fuck you, the man, the man. Now the man, the man is the man. The man has become the man. Now there's all these regulations and there's bureaucracy and all this other kind of stuff. And you just got to step back and just say, Jesus, okay. This joke is out of control. <laughs> and you got to know, you got you to get into the joke. Yeah, you right. really got to dive in. Right. That's, you know, so- for all the people who take it so serious, I'm just saying, just lighten up, man. It's just a huge prank that has gotten <laughs> way out of control, just so massively out of control that now you have to deal with the federal government and you got to deal with the this and the that and the blah, blah, blah. Come on, man. Just get a tent and go out there and. And there are a lot of folks that are out there, tent, you know, tenting it up. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's fantastic to see. I love that story. <laughs> what a great story that is. By the way, I would do a tent, but I'm out there for so damn long. I mean, I'm out there for yeah a month. Right. You can't, yeah. You can't do a month out there. Yeah. Well, and and yeah. No, no, no. Not in a tent. Yeah. Uh, that's that's yeah, that's that's a bit extreme. That's extreme. Ken. Well, I mean, there there are people who do it. I can't do it. I yeah, actually yeah. I actually my like when I'm out there too long, I begin to the playa dust is pretty rough on your skin if you're out there for too long. So, so a little hot tip for everybody: you got to make sure vinegar yourself off every night because that will that vinegar is acidic and the playa dust is very base, mm-hmm. so that will neutralize that. And then be sure to you know use the rub rub the lotion on its skin, <laughs> <laughs> or else it gets the hose. Yes, it does. <laughs> so, so, so Ken, I want to get really practical for a second. I want to take like you know 22 steps back. What does a 747 from the boneyard cost? I mean, I mean, and, and tell me to fuck off if I'm like getting into like nitty gritty stuff, but I'm just curious, like hey, I, I, how the hell does one buy a 747 and what does it cost? So depends on which one you get. Yeah. Okay. When we, there's different models mm-hmm. and the newer models are worth a lot of money mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. Cause you can pull parts off and stuff like mm-hmm. that. We got a, a dash 300, which they don't fly anymore. It had been out there for a long time. Who made it originally? Boeing, of course. Yeah. We got a really good deal. We got, I'm not going to say, we probably got a better deal than we should have. Not to interrupt. Is Boeing aware of your project? Boeing is aware. There's a bunch of people at Boeing who know about it, and they want nothing to do with this. <laughs> right. 
from a, uh, I can only imagine from a liability standpoint that they just mean like, oh my God. <laughs> so they're like, like do no, not go do there. not touch, do not talk to them. Do not help them. Do not do yeah. if. Yeah. And when we, and when we purchased the plane, yeah. we had to uh, sign a really big contract with the, the company that we bought it from that said, uh, you, you know, all the liabilities on us, nothing on them and nothing on Boeing and we've modified it. So it's like, yeah, okay. But it, but it, I will tell you that after working on that plane, I feel so much safer in flying in airplanes. These things are built like you would not believe Boeing really builds a good airplane. So the dash 300, you're going to buy this thing. You find so you go there. You're 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 window shopping. You're looking around for the, some some uh, plane that you can buy. I mean, take us through that process. So we went out. It was like twenty five of us. A lot of people helped me on Charlie the Unicorn. Can you going to do another project? Somebody's having wow, crazy. We go out there. We see everything. We find a plane. It's like okay, we got to put some money together, and that took a little bit of time. So the first plane we were looking at got crushed up. They, oh, they scrapped it. Okay. And it was much nicer than one week. That's like, oh no. So then I found another bone. Did yard. you not put a deposit down? That's funny you said that. <laughs> so we found there's another bone yard in Victorville. Okay. And I, I got to be careful about this because we had a lawsuit. Mm. So there's another bone yard. There's another company. We put a deposit down on this other plane, mm. which is a, it was a 400. British Air, British Airways, beautiful plane. And uh, everything was in there. We put the deposit down. And then the airport said, well, <laughs> we don't care if you have a deposit. You're not working on this thing here. That's a the short version of it. Okay. It's a much more complicated sure. story than that. And, and so we said, well, okay, got to give us our deposit back. And I had had a verbal from the guy I've been dealing with. He's like, oh, yeah, no problem. And we had had an email on that. And then his boss basically said, oh, fuck you. We're not giving your money back. Oh, wow. That's the, this is the super short version. Yeah, of it. right. And so then we had this very long, drawn out lawsuit over our deposit. And we ended up settling out of court because the judge was just like, it's not specifically in the contract on the deposit. So- I, you know, maybe I'll rule for them. Maybe I'll rule for you. I'm not sure. Yeah. And so our lawyer wisely made the decision. He said, listen, I'm guessing this judge is, he's telegraphing to us. We're not going to win. Let's settle. Yeah. But there's a company out there who I cannot mention because I don't know about the legality sure. of all this thing, who basically fucked a nonprofit out of a whole bunch of money because they're greedy sons of bitches. Yeah. I mean, they basically, and now the my only consolation I have on that is that our lawyer works for pro bono mm-hmm. and their lawyer is getting paid hourly. Yeah. So we essentially extracted, right. you know, but it's like, God, what the, it's such bullshit. Yeah. Just, you know, anyways, <laughs> I do, <laughs> I don't know how much time we have, but all the time you want. So I was talking with someone about this and they said, oh yeah, I know that company. And he used to work for a royal family in the Middle East. Mm. And he says, they they also pull parts off. They, you know, strip down 747s, sure. put the parts in the storage and whatever. And he said, yeah, those sons of bitches, they did the same thing. They tried to do the same thing for us. We had flown a plane in and we were getting parts. And we had the parts and we were parked on the runway. 
And they said, oh yeah, you know, we need to charge you more money for those parts. Which is crazy. It's like, you can't do that. Right? And so they said, oh, oh, okay, well, we'll come in tomorrow and we'll deal with it. And they went right to the, right to their 747 and they said, they took off. (laughs) It's like, uh, we have a contract. You can't change the contract and you're not going to stop us from taking off. And they just bailed. So that's, you know. Anyways, that's that's like the only, like the only, truly bitter thing about this project is to watch someone. This, I mean, we it was so hard to raise money for this thing, yeah. and it's like people donated their money, and they have somebody just literally steal it from us. Well, I'm guessing the optics. I mean, you know, m- most folks out there are probably thinking like, oh. You know the the guys behind this project are rich. We'll just we'll just we'll we'll take them for some money here and there. So you're in Mojave. Yeah. You're looking around. You're walking around. What was it about the this particular uh, plane? It was the only one. It was, it was the only one available. Yeah. Well, there you go. That'll work. <laughs> so going back here. So the 100 has three windows. It's the it's got a very short hump. Mm-hmm. The 200 has, it's a slightly longer upper deck. Mm-hmm. The reason we wanted a 300 or 400 mm-hmm. is that's the one with the big upper deck. Yeah, it's right. got like 45 feet up there. Yeah. And so the idea was we're going to, which we did is we're going to make it a convertible. You right. pop that top off. Right. And so you want to have this big wide space for this big open upper deck. Yep. And there's all this it's just so beautiful going up there and all these people can be up there with you and you can look out and you just can't do that with a one or 200. So that it's kind of like, this is the only plane that was available. It turns out there was actually one more, but, but you had a vision for the design that only that model could help you realize. Yeah. yeah, Right. Okay. The three and the 300, they only made, I think 89 or 87 Mm -hmm. or something like that. I mean, Ken, I mean this, this podcast could go for hours and I want you to come back because you better keep me in control. Yeah. I've got all this coffee in me. No, no, because there are just so (laughs) many logistical aspects to this. Right. I mean, because it's one thing to find a plane and be able to buy a plane, but then you have to transport the guy damn thing right and how the fuck do you even i mean like you don't know i mean okay by the way let's take 57 steps back ken why you man like how the fuck did you find yourself in this situation where like literally like i mean were you an artist were you an engineer like how the hell did this even Um, happen to you i (laughs) i have no idea i mean uh i have a background um, I was always interested in aerospace as a kid. Okay. Did a whole bunch of science fair projects and stuff and designed right. some airplanes and hypercrafts and crap like that. And then um, out of college, I started an aerospace company to develop a low-cost rocket launch vehicle to put satellites into space. So I have a background in that. Yep. And went and that didn't work out. Went into several, you know, did a bunch of tech stuff. Mm-hmm. And in 2008, I got invited to go to Burning Man. Mm-hmm. And I had been invited a long time ago. Right. So I went 2008. And, you know, I just, the bug just bit me really hard. I love to build things. Right. I've always loved to build things. Okay. And that bug, the, the building bug just, yeah. and I was with Robot Heart, which is a big, yeah. it's a bus, yeah. giant sound system on the side with a yeah. big heart on top. Yeah. And it's very, now it's very, it's iconic. At the time I was like, it's just a bus, you know, but I was like, oh, this is so much fun. It's so much fun. And it definitely, Burning Man definitely, you know, 
I can't believe I'm actually going to say these words, but Burning Man changed my life. (laughs) (laughs) There they are, people. For better or for worse. And I just got the bug. And it's, you know, building stuff is super fun. Building stuff with friends is even more fun. Building stuff with friends and then seeing it come to life and seeing all these people dancing in front of it and having a great time and and riding along on our bikes and going Charlie but I mean it's just it's something else. Right. It's a right. it's a tr- and then to hear these stories about people yes. who say you saved, you know, your project saved my life or now like I said we've had over a thousand people volunteer but there's all these people who it's an important part of their lives now, you know, and I'm super lucky that of all the things that I'd probably say I'm most proud of is the, you know, and everybody says this and blah, blah, blah. And it's really, let me move this forward. It's really common, but the community that is built up around this yes. is pretty amazing. Yes. And this is my family, you know, aside from my real family, this is my family. Right. So I'm, you know, this is the family you've chosen. Yeah. <laughs> right. Some of them have shown up. <laughs> yeah, well, then there's that. <laughs> okay. Come on in, straggler. Yeah, uh, you know, there's a few, you know, there's always a few. But I'm uh, but I'm one of those. I'm like one yes. of those few like <laughs> I've um um one of the people in the camp, she calls me uh, Uncle Morty. Uncle Morty. Uncle Morty. Because nice. I'm kind of cranky and <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Everybody oh, loves Uncle Morty. Uncle Morty. Yeah. <laughs> Don't let this coffee-driven laugh fool you. I'm a cranky old bastard. (laughs) Well, and that's it. You know, look, I mean, this is one of the reasons why I was looking forward to having you on the podcast, because as we've discussed, you know, offline as well, you know, I want to help you tell your story and document the story because there are so many dimensions and facets to it. I mean, there's the logistical stuff, which, you know, we could talk for hours about how the hell you, you know, deconstruct the plane and move it 500 miles from the boneyard to, you know, you know, like, I mean, there's all that. And, you know, and you and I have talked offline about all these, these hail Mary miracles that have, that have been (laughs) this whole, this whole project. Uh, you know, yeah, this whole project is just like right down to the wire every single time. There's just no way around it. I don't know why. It's a pain in the ass. And then, <laughs> the, and this is, again, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the podcast today is because after all of this blood, sweat, and tears, after all of this love, passion, pain, and suffering, this is the last year. This is the last year. I'm under an NDA, so I can't talk about exactly what's happening right. per se. Okay. And I'm not sure when this podcast is going to come out. So, but well, I, I hope to release it within the week. Okay. So- we have been approached by a group mm-hmm. in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. and we are going to move. We're going to t- move the plane off the playa mm-hmm. and disassemble it. <laughs> oh God, we're going to take it apart again. Jeez, now you've done it before. Oh, it's easier. The, <laughs> it's easier the second time around. Or is it? Oh God. So we're going to take it apart, and then we're going to move it. 500 miles to Vegas and it's going to be put together and then it will be a an art installation mm. in Las Vegas mm. in an undisclosed location at this time because that's Yeah, a, yeah that's the NDA part. That's yeah. the NDA part. Can't say who's Yeah, yeah, of course. purchasing and whatever. But I you know, we're super excited about it because as much as we love having it at yeah. Burning Man, yeah. 80,000 people get to see it a year. Right. Now, 
literally millions of people will get to see it a year. And it, and the people we're working with are being super respectful about how they want to present it yeah. and how it will be utilized. Yeah. And yeah, it's going to be available for the world yeah. to experience. The second life, you know, is, is, is profound. I mean, I think part of what's so cool about that is there are so many works of art at Burning Man that may not be able to transcend that environment. And what I mean by that is the context is so important to enjoy that artwork, right? Being in the playa, being in the dust, being in the middle of nowhere, under the stars, whatever. But but the 747 project may be one of those few, and I suspect is one of the few, if not perhaps only artwork that can really be understood or enjoyed in another context outside of the playa. I, I, I think you're absolutely correct because when it's on the playa, it's a fish out of water. When it's in Las Vegas, it's, <laughs> it's a definitely fish a water. fish out of water. You're going to be driving along on the highway and go, what the hell is that? Right. So, you know, I mean, it's, it, and you could see these things, 747s are enormous. You'll be able to see it from miles away. Right. So, you know, yeah, yeah I'm pretty excited about that. Well, you know, I also don't want to bore the hell out of people. So no, this is great, man. So the, this is, you know, yeah. I know people are, they want to know how to, how the hell do you take this thing apart? Yes. How do you take it right. apart? Okay. So listen, I want you to t- say whatever you want to say. This is like, and I, to me, this is just pure fun. So, <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. so first what we did is one of the first steps was we did a route survey. Okay. Route and survey. A route survey is if you're going from Mojave to Burning Man, to Gerlach, Nevada. Which is like, what, 500 miles? It's about 500 miles. Right. So I contracted a company, and because this is part of it. It's like, how big of a how big can it be yeah. when you move it? Because I didn't know if it was possible. And so that was one of the first things that John very graciously um, you know, put up the money for that. Mm. And it's not that expensive. But, but it ain't cheap either. Yeah. So he put up the money for that. We did the route survey, mm. and we came back with a number, which is it can be it was about 135 feet long, and it did said, and, and they said, we uh, we think we can do it 135 feet long, and that is exactly how long it is. <laughs> I think we actually might have been able to get it a little bit longer than that because we went with a different company in the end. But so and this is just the fuselage. This, this is, is the, the, the fuselage, body. right? Right. The wings. Yeah. That's a whole, whole other. That's thing, a whole right. other thing. Yeah. So then we got the plane in March, April 2016. Mm-hmm. And I naively thought we could do the whole thing in the first year. So we didn't, at first off, we didn't have the money because yeah. it's, it's to be able to take that whole thing apart and then move all of that. It's a quite a bit. So you mean quite a bitch. Yeah. Well, it's, but it's, it's quite, <laughs> it's financially a lot and it's also, yeah, it's quite, a, it's yeah. just, there's a lot of work. Sure. So what we did is we took the front upper half and again, we measured out what is that? What size can we move? And I think it's when it's sitting on the trailer, the front upper half is about 75 feet long and 17 feet, eight inches tall. And that is the maximum height that we can go without having to start raising power lines. That's it. Or, or it could fit underneath the, there's a tunnel that has to go through all these things. That's the maximum size. And so, we wanted to bring the whole thing and I was at this event further future and I'm just realizing, God, I don't know how we're going to pull this off because we don't have enough time. And my buddy Les wisely said, and he was involved in the project from the beginning. He says, 
why don't we just bring the front upper half? Let's not try and do the whole thing. It'd mm. still be great. Mm. And we'll put it up on what are called uh, a cripple wall, which is like a wall yeah. that's about 24 inches tall. Mm-hmm. And then we'll get it to the correct height. Mm-hmm. And when you say front upper half, you mean like the cap, right? Like the top, or is it the so nose? You, what do you? So if you look at the plane, yeah. you have the main deck, right? Okay, which is where you see all those windows. Yeah. And then where the seats might be, where the seats might be, right? And then on a seven forty seven, you also have that upper deck. So that's where the cockpit is, and the first class people, and blah blah blah. So we cut the plane maybe eighteen inches below the window line, the main window line. We took the nose cone off. Yes. Okay. And then we cut it from the very front of the plane all the way back seventy five feet. And then we cut it all the way around the top. So the bottom half of the fuselage was intact, which is super critical because if you cut that, you'll never get it back together again. So we put that onto a trailer, onto a flatbed using a very, an excellent company called Valley Wide Movers. They came up with the the plan around this. Shout out Valley Wide Movers. Yeah. So (laughs) we took out the windows and put steel beams to the windows and added extra uh, support posts on the inside. And it's all fit onto a trailer. And then they towed that thing at 60 miles an hour. (laughs) They were flying. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It doesn't weigh that much. Right. And we're like, oh, they'll probably be doing 25, 30. Highway Patrol Escort. They were moving. That's crazy. They were hauling ass. That's amazing. Yeah. They, and they probably could have gone faster, but it's just like- highway. Yeah, 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 safety. Yeah, you know. So they hauled that thing, took three days. And then the next year, we took the back half off. And what we did is, is before we cut anything, we put in a series of, of what are called doublers. So you have these ribs. Every 20 inches on a 747, you have a window. And in between the windows, you have ribs. Yeah. So what we did is we, we did the engineering- to figure out how to, what are um, when you when you have damage on an airplane, you rebuild that airplane using what are called doublers. Mm. Okay, so you there's a formula, mathematical formula to figure out how thick of of a piece of aluminum that you're going to use mm-hmm. based on you know it's all seven thousand series aluminum, so you use this then the tensile strength, blah blah blah, and how many bolts and all that other kind of stuff. So we came up with those numbers. And then we installed these plates, hundreds of plates, all the way around the entire plane. And then we took all the plates off and then we cut it so that when we eventually put it all back together again, it would all fit. And so the whole idea was how do we take it apart and do it in such a way that when we need to put the plane back together, we can do it very quickly and it'll fit perfectly because we want to make sure the doors work and everything else. And uh, we looked at a bunch of different ways and- this is how you do it when if you damage a rib on a plane, how do you rebuild it? And we're just like, we're just going to pretend that we've imagine you've damaged a plane. Yeah. It's like just we're rebuilding it right. basically right back to spec. Yeah. Or, you know, it's never going to fly again, but close. Right. right. Although I was pretty confident I was flying on it last <laughs> well, but That's a whole nother That's, co- a whole that's other on another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so we had people out there who have never, we have a lot of people who were airplane mechanics and got people who've never done anything. And we very carefully taught people how to, you take your aluminum plate, you bolt it into plate, you, you use clamps, you do this, you do that. We had the, we had a pattern marked on the plate and then we taught people how to drill through and then pull the bolt in and we clamped everything into place and we had all these plates into place in the front half and we marked them very carefully because if you, <laughs> you, you know, if you don't put them back exactly the right order, they'll never fit back, yeah. right? Put all those in plastic bags, put them into storage. 
came by with a 16-inch gas-powered uh, saw, mm. circular saw, mm. like they use on uh, yeah. like uh, cutting people out of cars and stuff sure, like that, right. and cut that whole thing off. And we had a 90-ton crane out there, and they popped that thing <laughs> off. And you know- I tell you, when you see this thing, this huge piece, and I've got some pictures of you guys. Sure, you know, yeah, huge absolutely. Huge piece. It was just floating along. And it's like wow, and and it is a testament to how ungodly strong Boeing builds yeah. the seven forty seven. I mean, it really, truly is just an engineering marvel. You know, they they designed and built that plane from start to finish in twenty eight months. What? Yeah. Yeah, they did from the, concept to finish. Well, the in initial engineering study with a small group of people yeah. took a little bit longer. Yeah. But when they said go, if I remember correctly, it took twenty eight months. It is one of the largest engineering projects ever executed. It's, I don't want to say it's on the scale of the Apollo project, but it's pretty close. Right. They had so many people working there. If I remember from the documentary, they were spending at one point, I don't know, like ten million dollars a day. And then when the pro when it was done. They went right into an, a recession and they couldn't sell anything, yeah, right. right? They couldn't sell these planes. It was A, a recession, and B, uh, they hadn't uh, deregulated the airline industry yet, so it didn't quite make economic yeah, sense. Right. And so they literally laid off two-thirds of the company. And there's a famous billboard uh, that said, um, will the last person leave, leaving Seattle please turn off the lights? Oh, geez. Yeah. Yeah. But it turned out to be the, yeah. you know, one of the great- What was the documentary you mentioned? Was it the 747? I mean, it's a there's documentary. A, there's a bunch of documentaries okay, out there. Okay, I'll have to look them up. Yeah, yeah but uh, um, uh, there's, wow, I'll have to share the link. The best the best one happened a couple of years ago. And they, I mean, it truly is 6 million parts and fasteners. 6 million. All, and that's pretty much all done by hand. So, Jeez. you know, we're just, and yeah. they did end. No computers, all down with slide rules. They they didn't have computers back then, right? Of course, right. So of the, course, the whole plane was built. Talk about human ingenuity, and you got and, a bunch of guys with short sleeve shirts, yeah, wearing pocket, ties, pocket, pocket protect, protectors, right. ties, and on just acres yeah. of <laughs> drawing boards, yeah, just going at it with slide rules and compasses, and I mean, it's. Tr- incredible yeah so it was just such a joy to work with this this sure. incredibly and to learn all about it so we did that in the front then we did it in the back and then the last year 2018 we had to take the wings off so we did another test and they went through and i said all right the widest we could have the plane would be the, the narrowest spot is 26 feet two inches there's a there's a bridge we have to go under 26 feet two inches it's all right so we're gonna make it 25 feet eight inches or 10 inches yeah, it's 25 feet, 10 inches wide when we got it done. Mm-hmm. And um, if it, the wings, you have three you have three main spars to go out, and then you have the fourth spar, which is what's called the landing landing gear wing beam, which is a, this big titanium beam that sticks out on either side, mm-hmm. about 20 feet on either side. Mm-hmm. And um, we could not get from Boeing the information on how to take those wings off. Because the wings are bolted on. Yeah. And they just would no way they're giving us they didn't want to acknowledge we existed. Yeah, right. And I pushed a little bit, but it's just like it's just going into a big giant black. And I yeah. totally get it. I yeah. totally, you know, right, right. They don't, want, you the, they don't want they yeah. don't want the liability of, of no. you know, a bunch of hippies out in the desert throwing yeah. a party. So we came up with our own solution, mm. which is cut the wing off 
or first what we did is we installed again using doublers mm. uh, on the wing spars there's three spars so think of it like an i-beam mm. and we put a cap on top of the i-beam and to on the bottom we calculated out the thickness we got the correct you know we got 7000 series aluminum and you know, rebuilt those I-beams and then we rebuilt the stringers and then we rebuilt the, the skin of the wing. And it was just this whole thing. But the real thing is these titanium beams. And we had to have the titanium beams because we wanted to have the wing. We wanted the, the landing gear on the wings. One of the things about a 747 is that it's got four sets of landing gear in the back. Yeah. And it's a very iconic look. Yeah. And a lot of people are like, we don't need those gears. We don't even need the wings. Like, no, yes, guys, we do. We have to have those. Are you and kidding if, me? Yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah. And in order to have that, you have to have that, <laughs> that titanium beam meets at about 20 feet out on either side. Right. So where that connects, we, we cut the wings just on the other side of that. Okay. Like that's the narrowest we can go. We can't go any, any narrower than that. So the wing beams, if we had left them on, the plane would have been 60 feet long, 60 feet wide. So said, so right, we'll cut it. And it'll be 25 feet, 10 inches, or 25 feet, 8 inches, 10 inches. So uh, to rebuild that, they had done something very similar at the Houston Space Center. Because mm -hmm. they had a set, they have a 747 with a shuttle on top. Yeah, right. And they had to move that, and it was too wide as well. So Boeing went out there and did it for them. Sure, Because it's a national museum. Yeah, it's and It's scholarship. Right, 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 right. And we went out there, and I went out there, and I looked at how they did it. And all these pictures and everything like that. It's like, okay. And they used titanium plates. <laughs> and I I priced it out and each one of those plates is going to be like $10,000. It's like, there's no way we could do that. <laughs> and I found this guy who does um, aluminum remnants and uh, there's different that there's different types of aluminum and he got us, he gave me a screaming deal on the highest strength aluminum you can get. That's exactly right. We did all the calcs. <sighs> and then we had to Pre, you know, you got to put the plates on top and bottom and you got to drill them into place. Mm -hmm. So there's a, there's a gentleman who's part of this project and his name is, uh, Karu. 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 Hey, Karu. Shout out. Yeah. And I think it was in 2016, like three, four months into the project, he just sailed in from out of like an angel <laughs> from from the heavens from the heavens said oh you know i'd like to help out and whatever i'm like you know oh you know of course volunteer i had no idea the level of skill talent and drive and passion that this man has he is um there i mean we have a lot of people like that sure, in the project in different ways yeah but caber from a machining and welding standpoint mm -hmm. we would Master. absolutely not have this project done without caber wow so he was mission critical oh yeah yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people like Nikki. Of course. We of wouldn't, course. Ha we wouldn't yeah, yeah, be, yeah, yeah. we wouldn't exist without Nikki. Right. Cause Nikki's on, you know, but, um, and there's, there's just so many people of like course. that. Of but course. But from a build standpoint. Anyway, so we, Kru, this, this, I and I'd said for years, literally years, mm. getting these titanium beams off is the project. It's not taking the front and back off. It's not moving. It's, it's how do we do that? And he and I came up with a plan. And we got a mag, uh, the super incredible mag drill. Oh God! And put steel plates on top, and put the MAB eight fifty mag drill on that thing. And he was on that drill, and we found a, a the drill bits that we were using were working. So we found a 
Uh, oh God, I'm forgetting the names of the Magdrill and the company that. How dare you? I know. I want to. I want to plug them. I want to plug them because this Magdrill was great. It, it'll and come the, back. It'll, it'll come, come back. back. Yeah. So we got this special drill bit where you can replace the tips and you can pump liquid through it to keep it cool. And Kru was on this drill for damn near three weeks. And he drilled 200, I think it's 262 holes through six inch thick plate. Jeez. Two inches of that is aluminum. And he literally just sat there and just, he, he figured it out. It's like a millimeter every 10 seconds or something like that. And he just sat there and pulled on that lever and, and it, you have to have the right touch. Yeah. Right. Because so otherwise it's, yeah, it yeah. won't work. And I, there's, I have a picture of how Boeing did it and they have an automatic tool. Finesse. That's yeah. the word. Yes. <laughs> they have an automatic tool right. that we're drilling two holes at once and all, and they have like all these guys yeah. and everything like yeah. that. Yeah. And we had Kru. <laughs> so f- he was out there and he, we put all, uh, and I tell you, it, it fit perfectly. The, the, He's the, a master. He is a master and the work that was done and the way it fits together is perfectly. It just fits perfectly. So we took all those plates off. Now we know like we have to cut it right here. And then we started off with 16 inch gas powered saw and we broke a bunch of blades. It's like, all right, that's not going to work. So we got, I got a nine inch electric Milwaukee with a concrete cutting blade. And we sat there for days Days and days, just slowly but surely grinding through this titanium plate, this titanium beam, and blowing through discs. And then we also had to grind down all the stuff. So it was Adam and Jacob and myself, and we're just going at it. It's like, God, this is taking forever, and our arms are falling off. So that was one side. And then the other side, we had to cut it off. And some guy, he was a mountain climber. He lives in a van. Yeah. And he's like, van got life. that van life. van life. Yeah, he's got that That's van right. life. And he's like, yeah, man, oh, let, me, let me take a crack at it. And we, Jacob and I remember, we're like taking turns, like every 10 minutes, five minutes, like, oh, my arms are falling off. Here you go. This guy did the right-hand side of the plane and he did it in, I think it was like two days. All by himself. All by himself. Just some volunteer guy. These fucking rock climbers, these mountaineers, man, they're just built from stone. They can just do it. Just, just grind it. (laughs) It was stunning. So there are so many stories like that in this project where- I don't know what we're going to do. And all of a sudden somebody shows up or somebody has an idea or we're never going to get this done. And like 24 people show up and we're just, everybody's drilling at once. And there's a few plates get done. And then the next thing you know, by the next day, the entire half of the plane is finished. It's just so many, so many events like that. It's just, it's really, it's pretty beautiful. It's so inspiring. Man. Yeah. 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 So anyways, I'm, I better stop talking. Otherwise we will be here for days. <laughs> Because they're only two and a half years worth of work on it. Okay, so, so all right. I mean, this this is this is uh, well. A right, well, please, let me just finish. Which go is go for it. When we put the plane back together, again, yeah, it fit virtually perfectly. The only hiccup when we put it back together is that there was a little bit. There was the plane sag just a tiny little tiny t- like a sixteen. 16th of an inch. I did notice that. I didn't want to say that to no, you, no, but like no, last year when I did notice it, like, this is sagging. No, this no, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. When we tried to put it down yeah. and everything was just off just a tiny, we're like, what is going on here? Because the back half fit perfectly and the front half was just off a tiny little bit. Right, right. And so we handed on there and the crane guys put the put a saddle underneath the plane and lifted it up just a fraction of an inch. And literally the whole plane went, the whole top just Boop, fit right perfectly into place. Yeah. But it's that just shows you how precise everybody was. Right. We were off just a, it, we weren't off just a 
six, it was a 16th of about a 16th of an inch and then everything fit in perfectly and everything went back together. Absolutely. Perfectly. The landing gear fit on absolutely perfectly. So it's, it's, everybody did a phenomenal job drilling it out, cutting it, putting it back together. And it just, mwah. Shout out to the team, man. Oh, oh yeah, man. I mean, the thousand, the, the 1,000 plus volunteers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Labor of love. Yes. Wow, <laughs> man. Well, so. And they've signed the landing gear, by the way. So there's a landing gear door. Okay. And we didn't, we didn't think about this until the second year. God, you know. So anybody who came down and worked on a plane for more than two days. Yeah. After the second year, which is unfortunate because there was a lot of people who worked the first year and uh, we just hadn't thought this out. And so one of the landing gear doors, we put out a little grid and people signed their name. Mm. And then um, Carrie, AKA Sunflower Rage, Mm -hmm. went in there and grinded out their names. So their names are permanently ensconced on the plane. It's really nice. I still haven't signed it. <laughs> that's a very that's a very Steve Steve Jobs like thing to do because he had all the engineers like sign the, On the inside, inside of the, the, yeah, the yeah, original yeah, yeah. Uh, Apple. I or just whatever. wish we had thought about it the first year because it yeah, would have been you know yeah, yeah, shit happens. Yeah, I, yeah. You, you, you're doing okay, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I think you're I think you're managing <laughs> quite well. Eh, you know. So okay, couple things. One is, will you come back? And continue this story with us because I mean you've got a big few months ahead of you. Yeah. It's incredible what you what you're embarking upon. <laughs> oh Jesus! What? <laughs> yeah, okay. and I had to bring it up. Let's see. Let's see if we can pull it off. And we've pulled it off to this point. That's right. Well, and this is a key point you're making, right? Because this is all the stuff that's happened to date. The next six weeks for you are insane, or or twelve weeks for you are insane. Um, what does the next say? six weeks look like for you? So right now we're in storage on private land next to the playa, somewhere between 10 and 20 miles north of Black Rock City. I'm not going to put the exact data. No, out no, there. no. Don't do that. And it's, and it's covered in camouflage netting. Right. So you can't really see it all that well. So we're going to move the plane out of storage, which is an enormous operation. Yeah. When we put it into storage, I did not... <laughs> That's a whole other story. I didn't realize how soft the ground was at the area where we're oh, putting sure. it in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we- Because the, the playa ground is hard. I mean, it's, it's hard. flat and- yeah. Right. And then when you get to the shoreline, which right. is the edge towards the mountains, it gets really soft. Yeah. And there was a little stretch and that, you know, 2,500 feet, that's pretty soft. Yeah. And that required down, us, huh? required us in order to not damage the playa because we really- I love the playa. It's beautiful. Yeah. I don't want to hurt it. So we had to bring, and we don't want to get the plane stuck there. So we had to bring in all of this heavy equipment and these mats. So you have to lay these mats down so that you don't, so the plane doesn't sink and it doesn't damage the playa. So we have to, we have to basically do it in reverse. Yeah. So we have to lay half a mile of, of roadway right. down. These mats. <laughs> well, how much does one mat weigh? Well, the first ones we were using were a thousand pounds piece. <laughs> so, and they're 14 by seven feet wide called Mega Deck. And the new one is this LD25, which rolls out. Oh, it's aluminum mat that rolls out. It's 82 feet long by 10 feet wide. So, it's going to be a lot easier. So, that we're going to lay out this 2,500 foot runway and we're going to slowly and carefully back the plane up onto the hard playa. Yeah. And then um, a few days after that, Move it to Black Rock City, mm-hmm. where it will 
do its last tour before its final flight to uh, the uh, lovely city of Las Vegas. So then we have to take the, you know, at the end of the burn, we're going to take the wings off, um, which is, we have, that's going to be a, an effort, but we have a lot of really good people. So I feel confident we can get that done. So we're going to take the wings off and then we will move the plane off the playa to private, private land just up the road. Mm-hmm. So we're no longer in the national conservancy area. Yeah. No more issues with the BLM. They're going to be happy. We're gone. <laughs> yeah, they're going to be really happy. So we're going to, we'll move it up there and then we have to disassemble the plane into its uh, five primary components. Well, we'll have the wings off. So we have to take the front and the back off and then uh, take it to Vegas and put it back together again. So the timing around that is, you know, we're trying to figure out the exact timing around that, but yeah. by sometime in October, we should be rolling from Vegas, rolling for Vegas. So cool, man. It's, it's insane. After you're done, I mean, my God, like, I don't know what a person like you does after something like this. I'm I going mean, on I, vacation. Yeah, what are you talking going about? To, going to Disneyland? Is that what you're doing? <laughs> you know, I, I honestly, the last two and a half years, this has physically been the hardest thing I've ever done. Physically. I have... <laughs> Let me see if I can rack up all my injuries. I tore a ligament in my arm. I did serious damage to my wrists wow. using the drill. I remember uh, we had to put these plates in uh-huh. and uh, the drill, we had this huge drill and the drill kept catching. Mm. And so I've done major damage to my wrists, mm. which I've been rehabbing. And so uh, between the arm and that and a leg thing and some other stuff and some stress related stuff and blah, blah, blah. I have just physically fallen apart <laughs> and I put on all this weight and everything like that. And, and so I'm one, uh, if I can, I want to spend, you know, the next three to six months just focusing on my health and relaxing and just trying to get back in shape mm-hmm. and, uh, rehabbing some of these injuries. And then I'll figure out what the hell I'm going to do. I'll tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm never going to lead another Burning Man project. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it first. This is on the record. He said never. And there's no caveats. Well, no, hang on. I'm going to get it. <laughs> Here we here's, go. The, here's the only caveat. If Because th- this, there are a lot of projects out there. Most projects out there, it's just all volunteers. That's like 95% of the right. stuff. Maybe 99%. And this is the same thing. But there are some people who are like, I have this idea. I want you to build it for me. If somebody wants to pay me, and the team an obscene obscene amount of money basically pay us what we're worth then you know okay yeah yeah yeah. because we have the experience we know how to do that but unless there's a uh, man i need to make some money yeah i haven't worked in years i can't afford this (laughs) i mean i I just yo you've worked for you've worked a a hell of a lot over the last years you haven't made any money (laughs) i i basically i was taking just enough to cover my rent and my healthcare costs. Yeah. And it's like, I have just scraped by. Yeah. So I kind of think it was less than 35,000 a year. So that's in LA. Yeah. That's, that's poverty. You're, you're, <laughs> yeah. you're living uh, below the poverty uh, line basically. Yeah. Like, yeah. Right around there. Yeah. If I wasn't, especially rent- in uh yeah, on the West side, <laughs> if I, if I, seriously, if I didn't have that rent, if I'm, I'm living a rent control place, right. if I didn't have rent control and, my mom had given me her car. Mm. 
her 1990 Shout Ac- out mom. Yeah, 1990 Acura Integra. If I hadn't had that, there's no way I could have afforded to do this. Yeah. And I also am not married, don't have kids, don't have any payments. So I'm just lucky. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm super lucky. And yeah. I'm super lucky to be able to do this. But right. people can't afford to do this. Are you an artist, Ken? Do you consider yourself an artist? All of my friends would say, you're an artist. All of them. I'm just lucky. I'm super lucky. I've been super blessed. I get to build things and play, you know, I don't, I don't know how else to put it. If you, I guess I'm an artist. It's, it is definitely an artwork. There's a bit of, yeah, I guess so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Good. I was was hoping you were going to get there. Yeah. 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 I don't get me wrong. There are other projects I want to do. I'm just not doing it for Burning Man. And it's, it, this is not a, it's not a, I'm not downplaying Burning Man no, no, whatsoever. Right. No, been and, there, done it, got the t-shirt and then some. Come yeah. On. And you know, here, here's the thing. I want to help other people. I don't, I don't have to be in charge. People have ideas, love to happy to help consult with them. Mm-hmm. People are like, I need some help this weekend. So many people have helped me. <laughs> Man. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I got, I got a lot of weekends ahead of me. Helping, for helping other payback. people. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, Give them back. Yeah. yeah. Man. yeah there's weak. huge joy in that. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's just, and, and you know, what's really great is not having to make the decisions. It's like, Oh, you want to do that in such and such a way? Sure. Hand me the, you know, yeah. happy to cut some wood, hammer some nails, right. you know, paint some stuff. And I don't have to make decisions. You're just going to, you're either going to do it the right way or the wrong way. And I don't have to think about it. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Where do I sign? Yeah. You know, you know the, the Titanic iceberg thing. I'm totally down with that. I just don't want to be in charge. Right. Right. You know. So for our listeners that want to support you. In oh. this endeavor, where can they find you online to make a donation or, or volunteer or support in some way? If you go to our wildly out of date website, <laughs> it's true. It's big imagination. Dot org. Dot org. Yeah. And there is a link and it goes to PayPal mm-hmm. and there's also a volunteer sign up page. Yeah. It's per- God, I hate to say it, but it's pretty out of date. Well, what, you know, the only, the only website that isn't out of date today is amazon.com. I think every other website is technically out of date. Yeah, it we're isn't we're very all hard just to, so busy trying yeah. to put the plane together. The emperor has no clothes, my friend. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, the cobbler's kids have no shoes. That's right. That's absolutely what's going on. That's right. That's right. So, but you but mentioned you. 501c3. So it's a, is it tax deductible donation then? Is that? Yes. That, we, yeah, are okay. a five, we are a 501c3. Got it. Okay. 501c, uh, 501c3. Yeah. And so it is a tax deductible. Although if you're doing a, do- you have to make a donation over $200. Yeah, yeah, for it yeah. to be. No, that's but great. Yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah. that's but great. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's great. So they, and, and I'm guessing the bad news here is that people want to volunteer. That's probably a little bit fraught. I mean, we're on the eve of Burning Man. Tickets may not even be available anymore. Like I know it's a very hard. Well, uh, depending on when this comes out, we are going to be out in the Black Rock Desert July 30th through August Okay, 5th. we'll be out next week with the podcast. So Yeah, so okay. that's when we're moving the plane. Okay. Uh, but we definitely screen people. Right, sure. Because this is, yeah. you know. Yeah, you um, need reliable, responsible, mature yeah. people. Now, who, if you're yeah. going to Burning Man mm. and you're listening to this and you want to help out at the plane, if you want to – help pass out emotional baggage tags or you want to help out boarding passes. You want to do some crowd control. You want to help us move the plane. You know, we would love to do is to have 
we're only, we, you know, we only want to move the plane a couple times because it's pretty big. Yeah, right. But we would love it to is have a, plane. a parade of fire dancers in front of the plane. Oh, for example. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, we, we need a bunch of people to take the plane apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At post burn at mm-hmm. strike. Okay. So, you know. Well, good. So there's lots of uh, interesting opportunities. Uh, just, just, you know, you gotta, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, we know what we need, especially anytime we're moving something or building something, it's like, we love the help, yeah, but we also want to make sure that people are safe and dependable and And all those. Well, mostly it's experience with tools. Yeah. Right. So, (laughs) right. And uh, rather than being a tool, we want people with experience using tools. This, this, um, so I forgot, I think we were on Playa and some people came up and like, Oh, we want to help out. It's like, Oh, okay, great. And I don't know how they did it. Hot white girls. Uh, (laughs) Yes. Yes. They were. That impression seemed like hot white girls. They were, and I'm not going to, I don't want to say I'm not disparaging hot about, white girls. Uh, I'm not gonna, uh, particularly this. Many of my ex-girlfriends are hot white girls. Particularly this, this woman, she meant well, and I don't know exactly how she did it and what she was doing and what she needed to cut, but she took a, uh, um, one of those, uh, like, uh, like the safety razor exacto knife thing. Oh, yeah, right. And yeah. somehow utility managed, knife, utility knife yeah. and somehow managed to gouge her leg within five minutes of offering to help out. She had a huge spurt of blood coming out of her leg. We're like, big bandage on there, over to the over to the hospital. And then we're like, nobody else from outside of the camp is helping us. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you don't show up and say, I've got a whole bunch of experience with construction. Right. It's like, all right. Uh, uh, your union card here here yeah. he goes I'm otherwise no tools for you yeah. I, you know yeah. what can i say <laughs> we got to draw a line I somewhere got, i got a boarding pass and a you, we got a flight attendant uniform waiting for you <laughs> ken Feldman, i want to tell you what a privilege and honor it has been to sit down with you on our little podcast today and talk about your amazing epic artistic expression that is the 747 project mutant vehicle at Burning Man for the last five years. What a what a story. Scott, thank you very much for having me on. And I just once again want to take this opportunity to say thank you to the all of the people who have made this possible. Because there's a lot of people out there who have ideas. And if you don't have a massive, if you have a massive idea, you better have a massive community to, to execute on it. Otherwise, it's just an idea. So it's, this is really a testament to all of the people who have worked so hard for so long to make things happen. And then, you know, whenever they see that thing moving across the plot, it's like, hell yeah, yeah. there you go. I did that. I was part of, I, I, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I contributed I, contributions. All right. I'm, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave you with this uh, last thing. So I was at dinner a few months ago and st- there was like 10, 10 of us and the host is like, you know, we're going around the table and he says, and Ken did the 747 at Burning Man. And I'm super embarrassed about it. You know, like, I don't like being called out like that, sure. but, and everyone's like, oh, blah, 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 blah. And this woman says to me, I got to sit in the cockpit for a couple of hours filling out postcards and stuff. And it was just this incredible experience. <laughs> and there was like a whole huge story. I, you know, when I'm, I'm, there's this huge story around it. And now that I'm saying this out loud, I can't say what. <laughs> <laughs> Too personal. Well, yeah. she might have been inebriated. <laughs> yes. I'm like, I can't tell the story, Devin. It's so all good, right, though. All right, all Anyways, right. thank you very much for having me on here. First podcast ever. Hey. 
Thank you. What an honor. This is, uh, we popped your cherry, your podcast cherry. Can we talk about your project? Well, we can. Is that okay? We we can. We certainly could talk about it if you're comfortable talking about it. I'm comfortable talking about it. I mean, it's, you know. So you and I met through our mutual. By the way, (laughs) French people leave and they never say goodbye. Jewish people say goodbye and they never leave. (laughs) (laughs) So that's my. Well, that's cool because I live here. I'm not going into this. Yeah. So you and I, okay. Well, first of all, you know, I experienced uh, Burning Man for the first time last year. I uh, rolled up on the 747 sitting on the playa and it literally blew my mind. It blew my mind. It just because somebody had the intention and the gumption and the, in the vision to do <laughs> <The> it. Stupidity. <laughs> and you know, what is this thing doing here? And who are the, the, the who is the person in the people's you know, with the courage <laughs> uh, enough and the love enough to do this. And so just by the fact that it was there and I'm one of those people, it's like, you know, Sir Edmund Hillary, you know, when asked why, why did he climb Everest? Well, because it's there, like, you know, like I'm one of those people, right? So just the sheer audacity of it is enough to inspire me. And I just say, you know, wow, you know, hats off, tip of the hat. And then I, of course, it was later in the night, so I didn't do the emotional baggage but i did go on to the fuselage i went on to the planes i went and it was just mind-blowing and i came back again a second night and then so to actually meet you a few weeks ago through our mutual friend uh disco paul paul anthony uh camp corny and you and i chatted briefly and i was made aware that this is the last year so to me as soon as I heard it was the last year, I was like, what? You know, because I just discovered it last year. So, like, how dare you take it away from me mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, this year? You know what I mean? Okay, Just wow. a tease. Just this a tease, guy. But because of the epic nature of this artistic expression, you know, for any number of reasons, my first thought is, well, h- how are we documenting this? How are we telling the story? Are, are we documenting? Are we telling the story? And that was my first question to you. It's like, oh, well, what, you know, are you doing anything? Have you done anything? And you, and you sort of, if I recall, sort of snickering, you're like, oh, I wish, <laughs> you know, like we have, we have a little documentation here and there. But yeah. Well, yeah. And, and you were saying, oh, you know, we've been so busy and yes, we would love to, but so then you and I started chatting about the possibilities and, and then uh, coming back to LA, we both happened to live in Los Angeles. So we got together with our colleague, Hans Fielerstad, a filmmaker, documentary filmmaker. So who's actually holding the camera right now. You who, guys who's actually here. in the room. He's here. He's being very quiet, <laughs> holding the camera. But he had a vision. And I'd. it's funny because after I spoke to you that night, uh, I called him immediately after you and I chatted and I, and I got him on the phone. I said, look, I said, here's the thing. I've had a few drinks. <laughs> <laughs> but I just met this amazing Are artist. You telling me it's a high idea. <laughs> yes, <it's laughs> idea. Idea. I said. I said. I said. I've met this amazing artist. I told him the story of the seven forty seven. I said there may be an opportunity to help Ken make a movie about this project. And of course, Hans was like, "Wow, that sounds so cool. Let's talk further." He had a vision for what this could be because really, the word that came back kept coming up in our minds is honor. You know, how can we help honor this project? Sure, a, a talking head documentary about the drama and the politics and the and the adventure and you know the blood, sweat, and tears. Like, sure, you know that's a legitimate approach, absolutely. But you know, what if what if this was really a tr- an art film, an art project uh, meant to honor this 
epic artistic endeavor. And, you know, we started seeing it, you know, in our mind's eye and, and Hans, you know, did a great job of sort of talking about how this is, you know, driven in large part by an incredible original musical score and just these epic cinematic 5k images and all this stuff. And so we just fell in love with it and sat down with you and pitched the idea. You immediately uh, took to it and said, you know, yeah, let's, you know, that sounds cool. Let's do this. And so getting your blessing was what a third of the battle, right? Okay. The other third, and these are all critical thirds. You know, the, the second third was getting permission from the powers that be at Black Rock City, Burning Man, to actually grant us permission to do this during Burning Man, which, quite frankly, uh, I was not expecting to get. One of the principles of Burning Man is the decommodification, right, or decommodification. They're not interested in commercial projects. But we submitted our pitch to them, much to our delight and surprise. They granted us permission. So now we've got two thirds of the process of the, of the pie. And now we're here in the back third, which is about raising the million dollars that we need to actually make this project. (laughs) And by the way, and by the way, we need it like yesterday. Uh, Yeah. So, (laughs) so where do people go if they want to, uh, they call me at 310-773-1165. There you go. But we have, we've been around this block before. We have made other documentary projects. We've been involved both directly and tangentially in the business for years. My wife's in the business. We just, you know, it's just kind of the the world we operate in. So all the pieces are laid. We've got proper team, proper budget, proper cash flow projections. We've got the LLC set up. We're ready to go to accept the financing to actually get this project off the ground. The team we've assembled is phenomenal. They've been shooting in extreme conditions, whether it's war zones in Afghanistan or underwater, you know, scuba, whatever. So the team is 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 pro. We are investing a big chunk of that money. The big chunk of that two thirds of that money is all about the glass. It's all about the lenses. It's all about the gear and the cameras. I mean, this is going to be a gorgeous, beautiful cinematic experience for people to hopefully get just maybe a glimpse, an inkling, a, a, a just a, a tickle in the tummy as to what this experience might be like on the playa. And so this is what we're really excited about. We want to we want to honor this project. We want to bring this to life so that you know the project can live on in a different medium moving forward and inspire other people who may may not even be born yet. Can you imagine seeing some, you know, somebody 30 years from now watching this film going like, wow, you know, this is inspiring me. So this is what we hope to do. Now we're in the fundraising stage. We're calling in favors and <laughs> reaching out to, to, to friends and family and complete strangers to uh, say, hey, let's get this money together because this is a, a, a worthy project. And so uh, we hope to be joining you, Ken and the crew and the move out and for the next six to eight weeks and you know we're ready to go we just need the uh we just need a few few uh, ducats a million a million ducats (laughs) Uh, i gotta say i'm 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 pretty psyched about this i really hope this can happen and and i really like the vision it is definitely more interesting than what's the drama people (laughs) you guys people don't need to know the drama we got enough uh, reality yeah, TV we wanted, show we train wanted, wrecks we, out there. And, and there's enough drama in the world. We want to bring more beauty into the world. And seeing the 747 on the playa 
last year and 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 to me in my eyes was one of the more beautiful things i've seen in my life and at burning man and uh and inspired me and you know to the extent that we can help bring some of that beauty to film and to the screen you know then and that's the gift that we can bring and and contribution we can make then uh we're honored to do it and so you know that's what we're working on and uh, we're gonna just you know move forward with the courage and confidence that uh the, the universe will align with us well i gotta tell you this this project has um Stranger things have happened in shorter periods of time. That's right. That's <laughs> so, right. So may the may the playa gods bless you guys because I would love to uh, see you guys out there and it would be great to be able to capture capture this. Thank you, Ken. Yeah, we we agree. And um, you know, hey, we're gonna uh, listen. If putting good vibes out there, <laughs> yeah, just putting this is just good vibes. Good vibes. Good vibes. <laughs> Ken, are you hungry? You want to go get some lunch? My phone has been blowing up. Uh, so, so as long on. as long as there's nothing. Urgent, <laughs> urgent, yeah. God, I'm hungry. Okay, I haven't so had breakfast yet. So yeah. we'll adjourn the uh, the the podcast, my friend. Thank you for coming. I wish this, we could take you all to lunch, but that's just not this, possible. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. And again, my friend, uh, such a pleasure. Be well. We'll talk soon. Yes. Over and out. Thank you. Ciao. Hey there. Thanks for tuning in. Please be sure to like this episode and share it with your friends on social. And if you haven't already done so, please be sure to press subscribe and follow us on IG at Not Real Artificial. We appreciate the support. Sourdough, out.